Hey, it's Gory Corey. I'm currently working on a new horror anthology called Welcome Week with Screenager Productions, the minds behind Satan's Servant. We're making a film about the horrors of college, and we're bringing together college-age film students from all over the world to work on it. We're currently fundraising on Indiegogo and would really appreciate your support. Whether it's sharing or donating, anything helps. Thank you so much, and if you'd like to learn more, you can find us on Indiegogo at Welcome Week, or you can visit my blog, GoryCory.com. Thanks! Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Lindsay. I'm Ron. And we're here to talk about The Program, starring James Caan, Craig Sheffer, Omar Epps, Christy Swanson, Abraham Ben-Ruby, Andrew Bernarski, Dwayne Davis, and Halle Berry. Directed by David S. Ward, known for The Sting, Major League, Sleepless in Seattle, among other things. Released in 1993 on a $20 million budget and a whole lot of controversy that we'll talk about in a bit. Grossed just $23 million at the box office, but it's found cult status on cable and in the rental market. So why are we doing this? Well, it's football season, and specifically when we're releasing this here in 2022, college football is kicking off in earnest this coming weekend, or if you count week zero, it's already kicked off. NFL's getting to start, and everybody here's a fan of the sport, but I got to ask, Lindsey, Ron, have you ever seen the program before? No, I have not. Um, and I've owned it for a number of years and I've just never watched it. I think it was one of those DVDs I kind of inherited from past roommates and that's, that's it. This was my first time ever seeing it though. I'm familiar with a few of the scenes, quotes, etc. I have seen it. I saw it back in the nineties when it came out on home video. Uh, but I also had some friends who played high school football and they were big fans of this movie for obvious reasons and they actually did the thing that uh they were actually involved in one of the things that created such controversy when this movie came out uh, we'll talk about that when the time comes yeah holy cow um, i i saw this when i was in high school um because i didn't play high school football but i was the equipment manager for the high school football team so obviously a lot of friends and involved in the team my brother played you know i was i was into football i mean i was like okay cool this looks like faux florida state sure you know and i it, this was back when florida state was actually good which is i know in 2022 seems like a far stretch but uh, they were good at one time and and so i remember seeing this and i kind of knew who craig sheffer was sort of from things and I, of course i knew who james Conn was who didn't know him i didn't know Halle Berry from anything at that point and i had learned to you know, no Omar Epps from lots of stuff, but yeah, uh, I think Dwayne Davis may hold the record for playing the most different positions of football players or athletes that I've ever seen. He's been a boxer. He's a wide receiver. He's a linebacker. I mean, he kind of pulls them all off and he never changes the way he looks. So it's all just stunning camera with that guy. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I remember seeing this at the time and uh, of course hearing about the big controversy and everything and, you know, it's just one of those that I've I've held on to. I think I've had the DVD of it for a long time. It was just, you know, sitting in a corner somewhere. And I was like, ah, we need a football movie to kick off football season. This is a good one to try to get out and do. But yeah, now, Lindsay, you hadn't seen this before. Do you know the controversy of which Ron and I speak? I don't. 
I was hoping you would expound upon that. Yes. So there is a cut scene that you can only find in the Hong Kong version, apparently, or on YouTube, as it were, nowadays, where during one of their uh, drunken rituals, I think it's during early scenes when they're kind of hazing Darnell, um, the players, including the quarterback, lay in the middle of like a road, like on the in the white lines and let cars just whiz by him. Um, And of course, that's all a uh, in effect, it was it wasn't yeah. real, obviously, but people actually did that. So, Ron, that's where your story comes in. Yeah, I had some friends who did that, but because they lived in a fairly fairly rural county, there weren't any cars coming by, <laughs> so they just lay down in the road for like fifteen minutes for no reason, and like no cars came by. Nice. Okay. Well, we're, we're laughing about it. People, people were seriously injured and died doing that. Obviously, you know. So uh, Disney was part of the production of this, though it wasn't on. It was on Touchstone, uh, you know. So that the ill-fated Touchstone label, which yo know, is sort of the Golden Globus of Disney, I guess you would say, I mean, is where they tried to do a lot of stuff. And it's it's interesting through the years what Touchstone Pictures put out. And we've reviewed a lot of Touchstone Pictures here on Filmstrip through the years, but I, I they wouldn't cut that obviously but it was all over you know good morning america and the news and everything and i didn't see that version when i by the time i got around to see it in the theater they had cut that out so i've actually only ever seen that from like the bootleg you know youtube vcr version or whatever but yeah that's the big controversy about this um not the steroid use or the you know <laughs> academic abuse or the you know the abuse of other people nah it was that it was that dumb prank that that got everybody in trouble but yeah so uh, th- th- this movie though is one of those that again has held on so now wh- what is it though you think about college football or nfl that lo- loans itself to so much like cinematic options because there are a ton of these movies we could have picked anything we kind of landed on this one because it's right in the middle of them but what is it about that, that you think makes for such good cinema fodder i think a lot of sports movies in general have a high potential for some really epic like needle drops, mm. right? There are so many great songs that you can throw in there and have these amazing montages, you know, where you're getting ready for the big game or whatever. And in this movie in particular, it starts really with their loss against Georgia Tech and then it comes full circle and ends with their game against Georgia Tech. And it just lends itself to, I don't know, a lot of... It has the potential for a lot of really epic scenes and big moments and high energy and emotion. And I don't know who doesn't like watching it. I like watching football anyway. You know that, Jay. So Mm -hmm. I'm biased, but. Football seems to lend itself to me to a lot of action shots. Yeah. Get Mm -hmm. a lot of like, you know, steady cam on the running back as he's running through the crowd. You get a lot of, you know, uh, you'll get a lot of fairly coordinated, fairly intricate stunt work and, and blocking and stuff like that. And I feel like it's the kind of thing that the cinema, that a cinematographer thinks about is like, Oh, I could do so much fun stuff with this movie. You can have a, we can have a fly cam. We can do the wire cam. We can shoot up on the scissor lift to get the big overhead shot. We can put the, the, put a helmet over the lens and, and do the kind of run into, you know, first person perspective, all that fun stuff. I feel like it's just like, yeah, that's cool. It lets every cinematographer be Sam Raimi doing Evil Dead. 
<laughs> yes, exactly. And and you got to say, in 1983, that wasn't something that we had seen a lot of. It's been done a million times, it seems, since. But this movie really pioneered a lot of it because David S. Ward understood how to get you right on the field of action. You know, he had done that in other movies and would continue to do that through lots of different things, but particularly the, the sports movies he's known for. And I, the other thing, too, is I think college football, the NFL, they're just full of characters. Like, the, you know, football players are characters, and they still are to this day. And there's, you know, it, I think we all probably knew somebody like some of these different people throughout our high school days or even in college at Lindsay, we've talked about it on other, on the podcast, but you were in the band at Virginia tech. So you've actually marched with like a major college football program in major mm-hmm. bowl games. So I'm sure you, you could tell us a lot of stories about those <laughs> kind of you know star players and stuff through the years. Yeah. Took some classes with a few of them. So <laughs> They actually went to class. Wow, that's different from this movie. Yeah, so. yeah. well, well <laughs> went to class is a is being very generous. <laughs> I saw them a couple times. Um, actually, Mid-term, there final. were yeah. I I had my freshman English class. I had two football players in it who hmm. um, I was friends with uh, for the next few years, and. Um, they were both very different. One of them did come to class very regularly and really tried hard. And mm. the other one, I think I did see like twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, it is the fun, fun part of this. And I, you know, I've, I've talked about it before. I've worked on college campuses for 20 some odd years now. So I've run across a lot of different football players through the years. And you know, some of them, it, they, they, they fit the stereotype for a reason. And some of them don't, a lot of them are just normal students with some athletic gifts and uh mm-hmm. it's fun to, to meet those that are pretty gifted but they're also pretty you know normal and everything and uh, what's funny is i think the other thing about football players in particular and it's gotten better now because we've got so much social media and, and there's so much attention but back in the 90s like if these guys took their uniforms off you wouldn't know who any of them were like they you know like you barely knew what anybody looked like without their helmet and it's funny to, to look at these actors when they put you know some of them put on the gear and you're like yeah i could see it right you know because some of them obviously played football and then there's like craig sheffer and you're like he's like five six maybe 140 pounds you get murdered playing in that conference but okay you know that helmet looks like he's about to run off his head but yeah it's I, there's just something though about the characters of football and and that's what this is all about. And then having that coach character too. And we'll talk about James Conn a good bit when we get into this, but that I remember thinking at the time, like, man, it's a big deal to get James Conn to play this. And now it's like, <laughs> James Conn is just looking for some work you know, in the nineties <laughs> at this point. He's like, yeah, yeah. you know, he, I mean, I think, I think his legend had been cemented at that point. So he was just doing stuff at this point. He didn't care anymore, but uh, uh, at least he didn't completely check out of acting a life like uh, De Niro and Pacino have in there fourth phase or whatever at least at least calm was trying at the end so uh for most of what i saw right yeah which is he's actually awesome in that that's uh yeah that that's uh that may be a stay tuned here on on film strip because uh, is a stay tuned because yeah we yeah we need to do that yeah getting too much pressure from our christmas podcast friends (laughs) to talk about it the second or third time (laughs) <laughs> this is true like it, it it does write itself but speaking of something that didn't write itself it's the dang plot summary so i'm gonna do this one but i tried to trying to channel my inner ron to do this so we'll see if i if i got come close we'll find out this is very exciting <laughs> so the esu timberwolves are 
coached by Sam Winters, and he's a living legend, but he needs to win lest the pesky booster, booster culture that's ruining college football kicks him to the curb. So Winters has an ace in his hole, though, in Heisman hopeful quarterback Joe Kane. He recruits a flashy running back who uses vocabulary words he doesn't know, Darnell Jefferson, to round out his offense. Meanwhile, he's got middle linebacker wrecking machine Alvin Mack to anchor the defense, so think Ray Lewis, but none of the murder charges, and surprisingly freakish Steve Lattimore to go along with him, so think Goldberg with less steroids and things are going well to start the season but under the surface there's lots of issues so starting left tackle bud is the only one that seems to go to class or even know that there is class jefferson is too busy chasing starting running back ray griffin's girlfriend autumn to pay attention to hanging on to the ball latimer clearly on the juice is unstable max a beast but his lack of care for anything in his academics could come back to haunt him if he ever gets hurt and backup quarterback bobby collins bribes the coach's daughter to take his test for him and is ultimately expelled so Joe Kane also has serious substance abuse and risk addiction issues, and they thought him dating Buffy the tennis player would chill him out, but he's as reckless as hell. And so his big showdown against Michigan and their Heisman quarterback, Tim Wayman, is an epic contest, but the Wolves fall short. Joe goes off the rails and starts to self-destruct, and they send him off to rehab. Latimer gets suspended for beating up a girl for being on, stem, for being on steroids. Winter successfully argues with an academic board to let Collins back in school so he can play because Joe is out. So apparently there's only two quarterbacks in the whole roster. And to make uh, things worse for Winters, Matt gets his leg completely destroyed in a game against Iowa and his career ended when a pulling guard you know, smokes him. And then the last game of the season comes around and starts to go sideways. Winters finally channels his inner Newt Rock and he pep talks his quarterback and the team and gets them back on the path to victory. And in the hilariously wild last play, Kane fires a ball to Jefferson in the back of the longest end zone known to humankind for the winning touchdown. Winner's job is saved, and he hits the recruiting trail as credits roll. That's uh, the straight line of the movie. There's a lot that goes on. So. I, I think you really nailed it about the long end zone. I feel like that's a CFL length end zone that they're finding in. Right? Like in, uh, well, we'll talk about all the lines of dialogue that Omar Epps <laughs> ADR'd where his mouth is never moving and the amount of conversations he's having on the field while he's running past people as we get into this but okay so before we get started mm -hmm. can we say that uh coach is probably gonna lose his job because his offense seems to revolve really heavily around a fullback well this is 1993 we were still doing that kind of offshoot west coast offense sam weish stuff but in 1993 you you weren't throwing like 15 yard curl routes to the fullback no, no. Uh, unless, unless you were still the remnants of the San Francisco 49ers, because they were still doing that. George Seifert's gang was still doing that stuff with what was left of Tom Rathman so, and, and people like that. And uh, a kid that actually played at Florida State ended up going there too. Floyd, William Floyd. So, but, uh, it was but, great, yeah, I, by the way. Yes, he was. He was fantastic. Fred Beasley from Auburn played there, too. It's Yeah, there's another thing here, though, that starts this off, and this isn't the only movie. It's also starring Halle Berry. That's a 90s football movie. Last Boy Scout, obsessed with, like, the most torrential downpour ever. And so, Lindsay, as someone who's actually at a lot of college football games in the field of play, have you ever been around a rainstorm quite like what starts this game off? Not like that. I mean, we've we've been in the rain before. That's... That's just, it's going to happen at some point every season. You're going to get bad weather, but unless it's lightning, they keep it going. So I've never been involved in anything quite like that. No. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty intense. The amount of water being dropped on these people during the scene. They're they're clearly playing in what has to be a hurricane, right? 
Like, right. This yeah. Is remains sure. a tropical store, something or another. And and I would say there's no way they would let this go on. But I remember years ago, Notre Dame and Wake Forest did, did a game like this. And Brian Kelly's Notre Dame team tried to throw the ball like a hundred times. I think <laughs> I remember that game. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. It's nuts. So like everything that you see in here, and David Ward will say this too, is that, yes, we're, we're taking a lot of liberties. We're going to have a lot of fun. But everything that happens here, he's actually seen in a game. Someone told him about happening in a game, happening on a campus. So it's all like caricatures thrown in one so it seems you know cliche because it's just a bunch of them strung together but all of these things at one time or another i can believe like especially this opening bit and i think it's funny that we go straight from there to like the chancellor's office with the athletics director and the coach and he's basically going like we need to win or i'm not ready to discuss your job but i'm basically discussing your job like they brian harson this guy like right out of the gate even though he's basically bobby bowden at this point well, you don't want him to end up like Bobby Bowden and stay like 10 years too long. <laughs> right. Or, or bless his heart like Brian Arson and get cooed. So, you know, like he did last year. But I mean, no, really, though, I, I love this, though, because there was this theme that was starting in 90s culture and movies where we became aware of the booster culture. And we're on the heels of Southern Methodist University being shut down for the death penalty for all the you know, rampant basically what we would call NIL now, but you know, cheating at the time. And there were all these other you know, allegations. And it was just a constant stream of stuff. And as a college football fan, like before there were a lot of message boards and there was Twitter and all this other stuff, it was the newspapers that drove all these. And there were like investigative reporters before he was a complete and total, uh, you know, hack and schmo on television. Paul Feinbaum was a really good investigative reporter in the Southeast. And if Feinbaum came after your team, you were screwed <laughs> because you knew he had something. And I, I think it's funny though, that like they're telling the coach, like you need to keep the program, you know, going well or whatever, but you better win too. So he's like, well, okay. And so they hit the road to go recruit people. All right, Jay, how does this, uh, the recruiting scandals you see in this movie compare to the recruiting scandals from Nick Nolte's Blue Chips? I mean, they're very similar, except I think Blue Chips leaned more into like how it would actually go down, which that may be a stay tuned for like next March when it's March Madness or something to come around and talk about that because I got lots of thoughts about that movie too. But this one, uh, the thing is, we never see him do anything underhanded here. It's just implied. It's all the hush, hush, keep it under. They'd be like, you know, they go get Darnell out of New Orleans. And we don't know where Eastern State University is. The double for it is williams Bryce Stadium in Columbia, South Carolina. And if you look close in a lot of the fan shots, like you see Gamecock gear. Like they, they were like, eh, who cares? But their color scheme is Florida State, but they're basically NC State's um, kind of <laughs> – mascotish thing it's it's a lot of mix of things and i got questions about the conference they play in in a minute but the way that they go get darnell out of new orleans i'm like that's a coup like if you go get a new orleans running back to go to you know carolina to play ball like that would be that would be like a story about that like how that happened that recruiting meeting with the parents was super awkward Right. Yeah, with the priest. Yeah, because he just think, he's, he's at a foster home, so he's yeah, like at a Catholic boys' home or whatever. That yeah, makes sense. I just that. I wonder if how many recruiting meetings are that awkward with the coach. If you're a coach of a major school and a major conference, mm -hmm. I feel like you're kind of you got a little more confidence than that. He seemed super nervous when he went to meet him. 
That, I mean, yeah, they're like feeding him the stuff about it, which I could buy because I've known people that are the uh, assistant coaches and recruiting coordinators and stuff. And they, they're feeding the coach like, hey, remember, bring up this running back, had this big player or whatever. Like, but if you bring the head coach in, like when Nick Saban walks in the door, he's there to close the deal. Like, it's yeah. like, yeah, it's like that's when it's over. Like, you know, if he comes in to see you, like you're signing because he thinks he can get you. And you're right, Lindsay, he wouldn't be so sheepish about it like james con seems actually james con seems to be somebody like i don't what the hell is this play i want my read like he didn't seem to know where he is half the time i, I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't as drunk as donald pleasance was in halloween five i can't prove that but it, you just kind of look like it at some points yeah having been at least in a high school where major coaches would show up to recruit players uh, as i've talked to with as i talked to, about with jay um I saw Bobby Bowden like in the hallways of my high school. I saw Joe Paterno in my high school to recruit a guy. I, I saw Lou Holtz in our high school to recruit a guy like hanging out like, and these guys, it doesn't matter like what your personal feelings are about them or even how good they are as a coach at, at a certain stature. Like when they walk into the room or when they walk down the hallway, you know it. Yeah. There is a charisma. There is a, a charisma. There is a presence. There is like a, there's something about these guys that, you know, little, he was old. And when I was in high school, Joe Paterno, but he just looked like, uh, he looked like some sort of Coke bottle glasses demigod because it was just like, <laughs> because he walked through the halls. Like he was the, like the man in charge of the whole building. It was really impressive. Yeah, major college football coaches have egos the size of Montana. And you kind of have to to be able to do that job. And they just carry themselves with such gusto that I can't imagine one ever doing like this. I mean, Lindsay, you were at Virginia Tech with Frank Beamer, who is a yeah. total legend, right? And he would come in and he talked to the band every year at the end of band camp and, you know, told us how much he liked us and, you know, gave the whole speech. And he was really cool, really <laughs> just a super nice charismatic guy like felt like he was someone you could go up to at any point and just introduce yourself and shake his hand and but he definitely commanded the room and he a huge celebrity especially around Blacksburg but man just in general you saw that guy anywhere he's very recognizable face so yeah, well, I mean, I remember watching Pat Dye walk around, you know, and he would come up to North Alabama for different things. And then, you know, in later years, Tommy Tuberville and all, you know, the big Auburn coaches, the ones that I paid attention to, anytime they were around, like, you knew it. Like, one, they had a huge yeah. entourage, but two, like, you could feel it in the room, right? You're right. Like, when they walk through the hall, you're like, ooh, you know, like, it was it was a big deal. When somebody and grow, from your school. And, and growing up in Louisville, uh, at least when I was a child, the big coach was Howard Schellenberger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he not not only was he did he not have an entourage, you would see him just like walking by himself at these at big events. Going to mm -hmm. like he would go to the state fair and just walk around. He would go to community events like uh stuff in the park. He would show up just smoking his pipe, wearing a crazy looking blazer, just this <laughs> surprisingly large, at least to me as a child, white haired old man. But he looked like if Colonel Sanders if if you could like put a yoke on Colonel Sanders' neck and he could drag a building, that's what like Howard Schnellenberger looked like. <laughs> yes, and this is yes. this is old Howard Schnellenberger, but he's still he's still very solidly built. He's still very strong looking. He but and he's still he was both 
very like a very commanding presence, but also like you could literally just walk up to him and say, "Hey, coach, how you doing?" And he would talk to you. Which and this was funny about watching James Conn in this movie is that in that recruiting scene, like, again, he's so just kind of discombobulated or whatever, but there's other times in here where like, he totally owns the room. Like you can see it and you're like, okay, apparently he figured out what he was going to do somewhere along the way. And maybe they shot that at a different time or he didn't know what was going on or whatever. But there are times when he really channels that like football coach thing, you know, it's, it's, when guys play coaches, like there's all there's all kinds of gamuts of what you get in performance, right? Like Al Pacino is insane in any given Sunday. I don't think there's any coach that operates like that at all. Um, but then you know you get somebody like Kyle Chandler who is like the greatest high school football coach ever, right? Because he's like a real per he played it like a real person, and to him, he said he just played like his coach in high school, and he played coaches that he knew around there. And it reminded me of people like that. And I mean, I've been around a lot of coaches and stuff, and they they do have a, a presence to them that's unique. And so it's fun to watch the way that gets portrayed here. And I, what I got a kick out of was when they brought Darnell to campus, and they have the friggin' half the band out there, and they got the cheerleaders in the bus. And I'm like, people are like, no, that's bogus. I'm like, no, I have seen that happen, y'all. <laughs> like, I, I worked at, at uh, Auburn for a long time. I have seen them roll out the carpet for like the big five star or whatever. So that's not that you know, far off from what we do today, you know? No, I think, I think they do more, a lot more than that. Now they can, yeah. you know, yeah, they've been doing it even when they technically shouldn't have, but you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Looking at you, Arizona state. So well, I, was about to, I was about to make a joke about U of O basketball, but I won't. <laughs> let's, yeah. Let's leave Applebee's out of this. They've been just dispersed enough. So, but, but what I like here is we do get to meet a lot of our characters. So we meet Darnell, we meet Autumn, Halle Berry in an early role for her. She's still kind of making her way. So she's the tour guide slash she plays a tutor. She's like five different things at once, you know, in this. And then we get to meet you know, a lot of the rest of the team as we go around here. But I, I don't know. I get a kick out of, out of the way that they kind of lure Darnell into stuff and the heat, you know, they pull him into the stadium and they announce his name. And I'm like, yes, that's, that's what you do to try to attract your big player. Nowadays, like the, they put him in the gear and they do like a TikTok video. Like that's what all the student athletes want to do now. But <laughs> in the nineties, you'd walk him in the stadium and announce your name. You know, it's like a big deal. So before we had video games where you could just create yourself and somebody, you know, do it for you. That's funny. He rolled with it though when he showed up mm -hmm. and the red carpet wasn't still there. He just goes, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I love it. They're like, hey, what happened to all the people? No, you're just a freshman. Oh man. Champ though. <laughs> yeah. You gotta say about Darnell, like he's a very a flexible guy like yeah, he seems to yeah. just sort of just go with it and yeah you know when he needs to do stuff he can and he, he's just kind of figure it out as it goes and he's, just happy uh, to be there happy yeah. to be part of the team. I, I think omar epps has such a presence too and you can see it here like there's a reason he still works to this day like he's he's just got something that just exudes off of him. like you could buy him as star running back you know star yeah. freshman running back you know that's it's got an attitude a little bit but he's also somebody who's trying to get out of the street basically and that, gosh that's how many stories of that do we know you know at this point there's hundreds of them uh if not more and so i it, that's playing on a, a familiar trope but it works here because i think he gives such a good performance um even though 
when they put him in those pads, and this is strictly something because of the time, like the nineties pads, those huge shoulder pads, you realize like how slight a dude he is. And it's like, man, if Alvin Mack really hit you, you would die. <laughs> like, I mean, not only would you fumble the ball, you'd probably fumble your ribs. Like, there's no way you would survive that. They really, um, they really got to bring back the neck roll for middle linebackers. Right. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk, let's talk about Dwayne Davis as Alvin Mack. I, I described him as Ray Lewis without the murder charges. And that's pretty much it. He is just this wrecking ball back there. And I missed it. Like I, I was sitting there watching this movie going like every one of these hits would be a 15 yard penalty today. I did <laughs> the same thing. Today. I was like, well, you can't do that anymore. You definitely can't do that anymore. You know, you know who he made me think of was the king of the neck roll. Uh, Brian Cox. Yes. The Miami Dolphins. Yes. That big, it was basically a board that ran from the back of his head all the way to his back. <laughs> And right. he used that thing like a weapon. Yes. Uh, and what's funny about Alvin Mack, the character, is he is not only this beast, but he's got like, you know, all the Lawrence Taylorism, right? But he also talks the most trash of anyone, like the most creative trash, too. He's having whole conversations with other players on the field about the ills that he has dreamed up that they have done so he can motivate himself to play. Like it's I I I always remember him from this movie. I think he is such a presence. He's so funny. And the thing about Alvin that gets me as the character, and I didn't really ever pay attention to it until now, is that he is such a ferocious monster on the field and in the locker room he's the rah-rah guy but when he's out of, out of that he's just like just a dude <laughs> he's just kind of chilling in his fubu wear and whatever you know talking trash but he's just a funny guy like he's very chill which is kind of neat to see wearing some of the most 1993 shirts ever captured on film. oh right yes i mean <laughs> new era sponsored this podcast and this 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 movie i swear yeah the color palette. The color palette is very early 90s. As someone who was in high school in the early 90s, I'm like, oh, this looks so familiar. Very vivid. Yes. A lot of Zubaz. A lot of. Oh, yeah. Zubaz. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of moose in the hair, especially for Latimer. Still got some of the. Still got. Yeah. You still got some of the remaining um, uh, Brian Bosworthisms. Yes. Especially I, I with think- Latimer. Yeah, I'm about to say, let's talk about Andrew Bernarski and Steve Latimer here. I, probably best known as the version of Leatherface in the Platinum Dunes remakes of Texas Chainsaw. And he's quite good in those. He's been in a lot of other stuff, too. Um, but this guy, I mean, what a freak of nature out there. And the way he looks and... I don't know, man. I described him as like sort of Goldberg. I mean, like he is kind of wrestlerish, right? Lindsay, I think you were getting those vibes too. I looked him up because I was absolutely positive he had to be a wrestler. And I didn't, I couldn't quite place him. I didn't recognize him. I didn't see anything. And I was like, well, I saw, I guess he got discovered randomly in LA just because he's such a monster and started getting put in movies. But Ron, you had a little tidbit. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned that he looked like a wrestler because he actually uh, went to wrestling training school and he was in the same wrestling training class as John Cena and Chris Masters from the WWE, both of whom are would later go on to be in the WWE, one of whom is John Cena, the biggest wrestler on the planet at the time and one of the bigger stars in Hollywood now. Mm-hmm. And the other is um, wrestling for Billy Corgan in the NWA, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow. Uh, well, I mean, that's, I'm not, no slide, that's no slide on Chris Masters. He's he's had some yeah. serious uh, Latimer style drug problems. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, and I, the fact that uh, Bernarski broke his leg is not a surprise to me. You're telling me that guy worked stiff? No, because so, he looked like he was taking it seriously. Apparently, one of the headbutts through the glass was a. Uh, was not the right glass and they kept it in the scene because he actually put his head through the freaking window. Um because it wasn't not a glass. No, not not remotely. Um apparently did not cut himself up somehow doing that. But I don't, I don't know if y'all tried to like if you've really like thumped on your windshield glass lately, it, it takes a little bit to break that. So um that's some serious uh, aggression. But that guy though is another one that when he's on, like again, he's you know he's face paint. He's the you know, ultimate warrior and all that shit. But when he's outside of, like, he seems to be one that like actually goes to class too. I said Bud's the only one that seems to go, but he seems to know it too. Like he's messing with Alvin about like, look, I know what that shoe says. It says Adidas. Yeah, I taught him how to read that. You know, like he's he's just kind of a smart ass. But you kind of like Latimer until he becomes you know a monster um, in real life. It up, ragester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A total total rage monster. But um, but you you have the difference in him the idea of like alvin is the gifted naturally gifted one right who can channel all of his rage and again cares nothing about school at all but then they flip immediately it was a great cut scene too when they flipped to the film scene and he sounds like you know he's doing all that football lingo and um i think my favorite line of that was like hit the tight end so hard his girlfriend dies it's <laughs> like man so yeah that's uh it was, it was just a it's a fun juxtaposition between those things is that these are not dummies, but they may not care about, you know, English lit 400 or whatever um, at all. Now, and that's, it, it, uh, in the brief, uh, in the first appearance of uh, Omar Epps' character when he's in the study hall, mm-hmm. is the camera, does the, um, does the clock look weird or is it just me? Cause I didn't notice like, it. It looks like they cut to a shot of the clock and the numbers are all jumbled up implying that he has a learning disability. Like oh, that. I didn't notice that. Oh, I've never I, noticed that. I did notice that the numbers on the clock looked weird, but I just thought it was like the font or something. I didn't really take a lot of that into consideration. But yeah, I mean. I think they're implying that he's dyslexic. Uh-huh. I mean, they could have just said that. It would have made a lot of sense. It's not like we didn't know what that was in 1993. I mean, yeah, but I don't, I don't think it's the kind of thing that he would admit to someone. And I, I don't know. Darnell doesn't seem to hide much. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe he didn't know. A lot yeah, of people go undiagnosed dyslexic. Yeah. 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 I actually felt for like his academic advisor guy. He's having to have that conversation with him. Like, okay, you got to take these remedial classes. You get this and then you can do it. I've been in that seat and had to have that conversation. Not nearly as, you know, awfully uh, dispassionate as that gentleman did, but I, I mean, I remember having to have that conversation with people. It's a tough thing, man. You got to tell these guys, like, look, this isn't going to count. It's going to count, but it's not going to count. So you got to like do it, and then you pass on. But the the idea is that I think we're they they seem to drop the idea that maybe he has a learning disability and just go for the he's just not interested. But when he applies himself, he can do well, which I actually don't like as much. I, I would like it better if he was like, you know what? I didn't know I had a learning problem. I figured out, and wow, college actually helped me. Like that would have been a, a a little bit of a redeeming story. But they're not here to tell that. They're here to do football things, and so it, it would have been a. If this was a TV show, we'd have a couple episodes of that. But it's it's an hour and forty minute movie as it is. But I mean, his whole thing is he's just trying to hit on Halle Berry, which I mean, fair, I get it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean that, uh, but he like 
where we'll see Latimer not take no for an answer in like the completely wrong, awful way later. Darnell doesn't, but he just keeps pouring the charm on. Like he just doesn't quit. You know, even when he finds out douche master charm of all time, Carlton, the running back, is basically Dave Nallyberry. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. I mean, they could not have found a dude that was more square in 1993 than Leon Pridgen II. I don't know who that is. I've never seen him in anything but this. But, wow, he is – there's no way that guy's the starting running back at a school like Florida State or whatever this is supposed to be. No way. <laughs> yes, I know Myron Roll played safety for Florida State. He's a doctor now. He's the one dude. Like this, That did not happen. <laughs> the Carlton – yeah. <laughs> He had a Carlton sweater on at the party. He, like, he was very Carlton esque. Yeah, he, he was, and he was very Carlton. He's very had that really blocky nine, uh, early nineties haircut. Yeah. yeah, that fade was all wrong. Like, was, I mean, he said that that guy would have the other guys in the team would have made fun of him. Like, there's no way he had the respect <laughs> yeah, of that. Team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and and he's also apparently a trash running back because they they, right. move him, they move him to fullback, which is what I do in NCAA fourteen. Whenever I've got a guy who can't crack ninety speed, trying to play halfback. I right? like how I liked how the coach spun that though of like yeah. not a lot of guys could do this. So <laughs> exactly you, as, a would, as a coach would, as a coach would, of course, yes. Uh, no, that that is that is his funny and his fate is to miss a block and realize that he's being selfish and to come around to the young young buck that has taken his job from because mm-hmm. Darnell is the most electric guy on the team outside of Flea Ward who I don't know from anything but he has the greatest name as the slot receiver that catches all the touchdowns from Craig Sheffer and uh, we haven't talked about Craig Sheffer as Joe Kane with that incredible quaff that he's got going on in that nightbreed hair is what i call it that's that's that, that is craig sheffer's nightbreed hair it's it's past a river runs through it so he's grown it out and it's huge i mean it's a lot of moose and a lot of i mean it's howard the duck it's 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 sticking <laughs> up there man i mean it, it's up there i can't help but wonder how much of uh alvin alvin's real life life son plays guard in the nfl I did not know that. Yeah, his son is uh, cool. Wyatt Davis for the Vikings. They they drafted him like third round guard. Yeah. Wow, that that's funny. Well, see, I mean, for me, I mean, he's Alvin Mack, but he's also Featherstone from Necessary Roughness, the wide receiver that could not catch until he could. Uh, you know, which is weird to think like a middle linebacker could also be your star receiver. You just you know, you lose a few pounds and run a streak for Scott Bakula. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And his so, grandfather was uh, Willie Davis, who played for the Packers in Super Bowl one and two. The defense. Oh, player. I did not know that. So I guess he's like a whole like Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah Hall, Hall of Fame, Packers Hall of Fame, All Decade Team. Yeah. Well, I- Abraham Ben Ruby, outside of of Dwayne Davis, the guy that plays Bud Kaminsky, is the only other person in here that looks like an actual football player. Latimer looks like too much of a bodybuilding freak to actually be like a real football player. Like the dudes don't move. Like he would never play. He would just be on the sidelines. I don't know. Romanowski looked like that for quite a few years. Yeah, but he he wasn't that big. Bill was big, but he wasn't that big. Like the only dude that's close to it is Braden Smith from the Colts. Looks kind of like Latimer. That's fair. uh, Yeah, because he's a big old dude. But 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 anyway, um, I love Kaminsky though because he does look like a a left tackle. 
I mean, he's six seven. He's huge, uh, and you know he just plows people in front of him. So I mean, like future, as I always refer to him as future Green Bay Packer, but Kaminsky. Um, <laughs> this is what he looked like. But uh, but no, I mean, I, we got to talk about Sheffer though, as as Joe Kane because. I don't know what they told him to do, like in terms of his energy for this movie. <laughs> Lindsay, I'm looking to you as the trained actor here to try to unravel this for me. He's like playing this sort of subdued vampire <laughs> or something. <laughs> it's very weird. <laughs> Not star quarterback. Um, Maybe that was the direction he received. I don't know. I mean... He was trying to play a complex character who was written into like an aggressively generic film. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So- <laughs> he has like the most like, and I mean this in a good way, lifetime movie, horrible story, like backstory, yeah. like the worst family life, right? I mean, Darnell's got it pretty bad. He didn't even have any parents. You know, he's just an orphan at a, at a, at a Catholic boy's home. But like, at least he's happy-go-lucky about it. Joe Kane has a father and a brother who are drunks, who are losers, who just clearly hate him. Like, we won't rent your spot on the couch. You know, I mean, like, God, you know, he's the lousiest home life ever. So clearly he channels all of that into horrible, you know, decisions and, and addictions and things. And you're right. They shove that really dark story into the most generic sports movie of the nineties. Well, and in front of that dark story, he is going through a Heisman campaign. So he has to put forward this, you know, facade of, you know, 100% all American boy, Right, like people think of like the type of person people want to vote for for Heisman and but none of that's real and yeah yeah there's at one time he's like doing an ESPN thing I think with Brian Gumble or something and he like starts to get real and they cut him yeah. off and they're like yep. no too much and he's like I haven't really thought about it he's sort of dead eyes and again yep. I'm like wow that's yeah but you know I could believe that I could believe that they tamped the story down like that I don't know. Nowadays, though, they'd probably let you like the more humanizing you get, you know, you you get Tom Rinaldi to start, you know, dragging tears out on game day for you, you know. But yeah, it's 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 neat to watch him do this because, again, Craig Sheffer's supposed to play this really broken person, and he does some insane stuff in this movie. He's jumping that motorcycle in front of trains. And he also hits on Christy Swanson. Um, and that's, you know, taking your life in your own hands anyway. I got questions, though, about Camille, <laughs> because not only is she a full ride jock at this school playing tennis, which I didn't. I mean, I know a lot about uh, Title IX athletics. They don't do full ride scholarships for the sports. But OK, sure. Um, maybe she's that good. I don't know. Um, maybe it's that kind yeah, of school. Not in the southeast, but maybe not like full yeah. ride scholarship. Like I could see that at like Cal or something, not at Florida State fake university. I mean, they don't they're not going to do that. But whatever. What I get a kick out of is that she plays tennis against Joe as kind of a meet cute with a scoped knee wearing jorts. Who the hell does that? Yeah, with a legit knee with a big knee brace on too. Yeah. I think maybe they're implying that she's good enough at tennis that she could go out there and jorts in one leg and and 
beat beat a probable professional athlete at a game he rarely plays, but you know. Yeah. I don't know. The, the, I'll tell you what always rang false to me about that, though, is if you've ever met any of these like superstar quarterbacks and stuff, they're very rarely only good at being quarterbacks. Like they're they're good at almost every sport they play. Like I'll, I'll never forget, like the stiffest looking quarterback I ever saw in my life was this kid that played it at, at Troy University back in the day. And Hansel wasn't a big guy at all. But there wasn't a ball that that kid didn't pick up that he couldn't just master baseball ping pong bowling basketball whatever that kid touched he was built to be a, a PE teacher and a coach like he, that's just his thing he was so super athletic so the fact that he gets his ass kicked on, on the tennis court is kind of weird I mean I know it's just supposed to be cute but I'm like I don't know he probably would actually be good at that you would think my other concern too is how many star quarterback college football players would risk an ankle roll or an injury playing a sport that they never play just to yeah. like prove something. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe they would. But I, mean, I, don't I, just can't, I, I don't think the coach would allow them to do that. Well, no, yeah. James Conn takes his motorcycle away from him because it, I'm like, I think it would probably be madder that he was out playing tennis. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, moron, you could blow your knee. <laughs> and there goes my season. Have you met your backup quarterback? He sucks. So, you know. <laughs> My season and your career over because right. you play tennis with some right. chicken jorts. Yeah. Joe, Joe kind of <laughs> gave me Todd Marinovich vibes. Do you remember Todd Marinovich? Yes. Yeah. Robo quarterback. Yeah. yeah. Robo QB. He gave me real Robo QB vibes and that this is going to end badly for him, I think. Right. There's also a little bit, and I know it's it's the wrong time period, but it's, it's a little Ryan Leafish in there too. You know, like there's some of that that I, I read off of. I, I could definitely see it. Ryan Leaf stepping in front of a train for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like playing chicken with a train. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He probably did at one point. He's, I'm sure he's told about it at this point. He's told all of his stuff. But yeah, I, Joe, Joe is a reckless dude. Uh, but what I what I think is funny about this and what's neat about the Camille character, because you talk about like the, two, the only two female characters that get like anything to do besides Joey Lauren Adams is crying jag a little bit later are Halle Berry and, and Christy Swanson. And they have completely thankless roles as the love interests of our two you know, male leads. But I will give Camille a lot of credit for having a lot of gusto herself. Like she clearly is just as much of a risk taker as Joe is because she could like, like her life could be over too. Cause she talks about how her dad can't afford to send her to that school. And she's on a bad knee playing tennis in the off season with this dude. Like, no, like your coach would murder you too. So. Yeah. I feel like there's no way uh, her, her tennis coach would be cool with any of this. Uh-uh. Because no. <laughs> when you think of calm and collected and, and easygoing tennis coach is not like, the person you think of no <laughs> no at all like they're incredibly intense so what athletic coach wouldn't be intense like that though the golf coach mike leach oh <laughs> uh, yeah also. that's true golf yeah. coaches would just be screaming internally <laughs> yes until and, they get and, an aneurysm and, <laughs> and, my, and mike leach would start talking about the this hour hourglass and sands of time or something you know <laughs> or the did you read that chapter in dune you know that one time <laughs> that, would, that would be mike leach at this if mike leach was coach winners ah oh, we missed an opportunity there so <laughs> 
but yeah, I mean, we, we, we get to see some games. I got questions though. This team, here's their schedule as we know it. All right. Not, not the season that ended, but the season that we get to see, they play Mississippi state, Michigan, Boston college, Texas, North Carolina, Iowa, and Georgia tech. What in the hell kind of conference are they in? Because that travel money is insane. This is like a COVID conference. They're just playing anyone who has enough people to play. I think the truth of it is like they, they got the licensing like for these teams to allow. And the reason Michigan is the team that wins is they were supposed to open the season with Michigan and Michigan refused to let them use them in the, in the movie if they lost. Because Michigan's like, no, we are not losing. So they, I don't know who they were supposed to lose to, but uh, they that, that got changed because Michigan was like, no, and they wanted that Michigan helmet and Bo Beckler in this movie. So it tells you the sway Michigan used to have, kids. I feel like this is uh, like a Notre Dame situation, and this is just like an independent school. Maybe so. Would they talk about winning the conference championship though? Oh, that's like they, right. So they, they do drop that. So. I'm I like, do remember Michigan being huge. Like even I had a Michigan sweatshirt, and I lived in Covington, yeah. Virginia. So like, yeah, yeah, they were they were, they were yeah, big back then. No, no, they were a major brand, and like, but like, yeah. what's funny is like Mississippi State is the trash school you open the season with. I'm like, well, that kind of rings true, actually. I mean, you know, they they've had some success, but outside of Dak Prescott. Eh. You know, it's not not a lot of legendary bulldog football teams, but uh, this is when Texas was actually good, though, uh, in the nineties. And I don't know that North Carolina has ever been good, but they lose, so who cares? Iowa, though, being like a freakishly mean offensive line, checks out still. Like that, that works. So, um, yeah, that's though I think Iowa's thing, I think. Yeah, but this their away game, right? And I don't know if you noticed or not. It looks like a rundown high school stadium. <laughs> like Kinnick's actually a nice stadium, <laughs> so they clearly just shot that like the back lot of Duke or whatever. Because I think most of this was shot at Duke University. I recognize some of the buildings, but uh, being not that far from it here in North Carolina. But yeah, I, I was always blown away by the conference alignment here. <laughs> I was like, this makes no sense at all. I guess nobody cares, but I mean, I, only a football nerd would would care about that like I do. But it's just funny to me that like, wow. What's really funny though is Georgia that's considered a formidable opponent because that hasn't happened since the 90s. Just wait until uh, conference realignment settles down. This is probably going to be like the new <laughs> ACC. You know, yeah. now that you say that, I could buy it. This actually makes more sense now than it did in 1993. Yeah, this is like just one conference of the Big 12 now. Mm-hmm. It's Yeah. We go around, though, and we get some more stuff. Again, we've talked about how Darnell's not going to give up. I do think he and Halle Berry do have the cutest date ever, like on the ice skating rink. And I love that his his whole thing is like, I told you I'd take you somewhere nobody would notice this, so we're just going to go where white people would go. And I was I'm like, that's actually kind of funny humor. Like That, that worked out really well. Well, next we'll go bowling, you know. And, uh, and you, you understand why Omar Epps had a career in humor. Uh, for many years, it was usually a comic relief. He's played the straight man a lot of times too, but he was a lot of times would be the comic relief in a movie. And he's, he's definitely funny. And Halle Berry's you know having a good time with this. And uh, I don't know, I, I really I, I enjoy watching this, and I like how he gets really pissed off when she won't introduce him to her dad as like this guy I'm seeing. It's I mean that's very uh, that, she big timed him right there, and that was kind. Of, I mean the way he took it though. I mean again he took it in stride, but he was clearly angry about it. Yeah, he 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 went with it though, you know. He played and 
played the role he needed to play in that moment and then was just like, well, this is how it's going to be, I guess. Can I, I do want to – let me bring up this ice skating thing because I clearly was – way too invested in the health and wellness of these players. Cause when he right? was ice skating, <laughs> I was like, great. And then he fell at the end. I was like, well, there goes his ACL. He's never going to play football again. <laughs> and then he Lindsay, like, you, you've got a, you've got a future in like team coordination. So. <laughs> but you're right. No, you're right. They do. Lindsay can get a job as whatever the get back coach is to keep players from free. <laughs> It's the director director of football operations. That's called, yeah. So, no, no, that's perfect. On LinkedIn, for yes. Any any team looking? But no, you're exactly right. Like no one is it. Well, the problem is, is this is a major college university with a major you know program, and they've only got three coaches, two of which look like they could just work at a pet boys. Like the two coordinators are hilarious. Like they they're the most worthless coaches ever, and then you've got. James Conn, who occasionally looks like he knows what he's doing with that headset and sometimes not, you know, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I did think it was funny though that all the, the dangerous things these people do and that literally the thing that Lindsay is fixated on is the dates they go on are too dangerous for them. <laughs> it's, it's not the jumping the motorcycle in front of the train or any of that stuff. It's, it's this. I mean, so. yeah, like that, that also not ideal, but <laughs> yeah, technically that too was part of a date. So yeah, yeah. The it, things it, they do to impress these ladies, I'm telling you what. Well, but speaking of which, apparently Bobby Collins, the backup quarterback, must be the ladies' man because he's got Joey Lauren Adams taking his test for him, and the poor TA credited that guy for figuring it out <laughs> and going, "Hmm, fairly certain Bobby Collins plays on the team, so I'm going to need to see your ID, ma'am." And yeah, but I love how the dad, her dad's like, like he's mad at her but he's more mad that he she screwed up his quarterback and she like got herself kicked out of school you know like i'm like wow priorities miss a line there pops but thanks a lot mm-hmm. but i mean it's not she like there's much about of a, it it's not like it's much of a loss though i mean he's not a very good backup quarterback well i mean they go two and one with him i mean he's effective no, i like guess two and two and two with him Oh, that's right. They did lose the. And then, Iowa and then they're yeah. losing in the final game until he gets benched. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he is definitely not elite, um, like Joe Flacco is apparently still. Uh, but yeah, this guy's not any good. But he does look like he could have been a bass player in a '90s pop country band. Like yeah. he kind of, he kind of has that. That he plays in the house band on the Nashville Network with Ralph Emery. Mm-hmm. You know, like that. He's got that vibe going on. Uh, for sure. But uh, just so y'all know, though, by the way, I have written codas that the movie does not give us for all of these people. So just hold on. We're going to get there. That's right. Um, yes. <laughs> so, but all this is going on because it, we, we're getting to the big game, though, because it's in Michigan. It's we got Chris Berman embarrassing himself as he always does um, with these goofy nicknames. You got Tim Wayman, who's that's Brian Greasy. I don't care what they say. I mean, that's that's what that's supposed to be. And you got Michigan and, and ESU going to each other. And it's actually like the most game stuff we get until the very end with Georgia Tech. And I'll, I'll give them credit. You know, football movies can be hit or miss with the, the action that they do. And it's pretty slowed down, but they do some pretty good football stuff in this. Like, I like how it goes back and forth. And it's not, it's not as predictable as maybe as you think it would be. Yeah, I really liked the uh, 
how they handled the football stuff too. And I think that you know you don't get any like thirty four to nothing or games or anything like that. There's no real role. This is clearly a major team, but they're playing major teams except for North Carolina. And <laughs> you know everybody's gonna have a couple cupcakes. But like yeah, exactly. Iowa, Texas, Boston College, back to, back in the early '90s, Michigan, mm-hmm. Georgia Tech. Those were all like legitimate teams that would be difficult asks for a team like this to beat, especially with a backup quarterback, and especially starting Carlton as your running back. And <laughs> right, but it, but it is Joe versus Tim Wayman in the Michigan game. And I love how. We get to see our star linebacker, like he's about to make the hit of the lifetime, but the quarterback just gets it off in time. And, you know, of course, the receiver has dusted the DBs. They, they don't put any emphasis on defensive back recruiting at all. Maybe Ray should have played safety or something because he had enough speed to get back because that dude was so open. But, yeah, they lose the big game. And this is when Joe goes completely off the rails. And he gets in a fight at the bar. He throws a guy through a window. He borrows his buddy's truck. He gets pulled over because he's hammered, obviously. And it's a mess. And this is where you start getting the, I guess, the social commentary of the movie about the shadiness of, of college athletics is the things they will go through to keep people alive and eligible and all this stuff. And they send Joe to rehab. But I, I, what I got out of that was just how callous James Conn is to him about it. And it's such a turn from the way he acts later in the movie. He says to him, he's like, look, if you go to trial, you can be gone for a year. This way, you're just gone for four games. And I'm like, damn, bro, like, that's hard. Like, this guy's clearly got problems. <laughs> you're just sort of chalking it up to that. No wonder he's got problems and he lights his Heisman blow up on fire in the shower. That's a huge fire hazard, by the way, but. Um, yeah, I didn't know they know. built those standees in a flash paper, but I learned something. <laughs> right? <laughs> also, I've seen nice storms. I ain't never seen one look like that. <laughs> like that. Wow. I've seen a nice storm like that, but generally there are two people living in one of those rooms. I think Syracuse has storms that are kind of similar to that, or they used to. I don't know if they still do. Um, but usually they're made for two people, not one. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of space for, I guess your star quarterback, you can get that kind of space. And I mean, like we had the newer buildings. I feel like newer buildings on campus have nicer dorms. Now they're kind of bougie, but. Yeah. They're more, they're more like apartment suites and everybody has their own little suite, but not in the nineties. Yeah. And nothing even now. I mean, well, I can't say now, I don't know. I haven't been in a college dorm for like, 15, 20 years. So, yeah, definitely not in the 90s, I don't think. This isn't a college dorm. This is a football dorm. (laughs) Yeah, we were still doing that back then, right? You could live in separate places. We had football dorms at Virginia Tech, and they were not the nicest dorms on campus. Probably because the football team lived there. (laughs) Not the cleanest dudes. (laughs) It It was the athletic dorm, I guess. It was like a general, you know, dorm for all of the student athletes, but... All the rooms right. look the same. Yeah. But we send Joe off to rehab, you know, in his quiet room. He's ignoring his girlfriend's phone calls. He's kind of ignoring the world at this point. Right. And we get what I have always remembered is one of the most hilarious scenes probably in the nineties is James Conn having to stump for this kid that he clearly hates. <laughs> and I don't know if he didn't like the actor either, but James Conn's whole like, look, he, he made a mistake. It should be a life sentence. It's just, 
She's putting back in school. <laughs> She's been the worst argument ever while Professor Bowtie over there is, you know, throwing all this shit at him. And having been in academic council meetings before, I'm like, yes, this is how they go. The football coach is never there. He would never do that. But you, yeah, I could see that kind of thing happening. And the best line James Conn has is what's the last time 80,000 people showed up to see somebody do a damn chemistry experiment? And I just <laughs> die. I died every time I hear that. I'm like, yes, that is, he's, He's not right, but he's also completely right at the same time. <laughs> it was a, it reminded me of that um, that Rodney Dangerfield comment in Back to School. Yes, yes, it's very <laughs> much was, Professor Turgeson. Yeah, I can't remember that line exactly, but that's what it reminded me of. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 hilarious. It's uh, but it is it is a funny thing to watch him argue for this guy that he clearly does not want. But I guess whoever the freshman quarterback was was absolutely not ready. Like they couldn't even put Flea back there to run the option. Ray couldn't hand it off. Like I don't know. It was weird. Well, run the Wildcat with Darnell. I mean, <laughs> I mean that's where I thought they were going to go when he had when the coach was started pulled Ray and. Uh, Darnell in to the office at the same time. Like, all right, here you go. It's going to go back to old school. They're going to run the option for a while because they ain't got a quarterback. Right. Maybe you are a single wing. Yeah. yeah, maybe you throw uh, Bobby out there to get murdered or something. <laughs> he can be Jay Cutler and stand over there with his hands in his warmers, acting like he's going to block. So, yeah, no, yeah, it's I, I, we don't get enough of of Bobby. Um, playing badly we just get told by the voiceover that he plays badly i I could i wish i could have seen like a few throws in the dirt you know what i do love alvin's whole thing about this where like he's sort of summing it up before all this happens he's like all right you're suspended for three games steroid monkey and you you know joe's gone we're going to pitch shutouts now (laughs) we're going to score all the points too you know (laughs) he's just taking it all on himself should have put Alvin but, under center. He would. He could have just right. What's What's out. funny is is years later. I remember watching one of those Super Bowl like memory things, and they had Warren Sapp talking about. He told John Gruden after they lost like a you know a playoff game like nine to two. John, just get me ten points, and we'll win the Super Bowl. And they like ended up beating Philadelphia the next year like eleven to ten or something. So some ridiculous thing. And I'm like, yeah, that's. I mean, Brad Johnson, Bobby Collins. Sorry, Brian, but yeah, that's that's probably how that would go. Um, but it's all about coming up to these last games. And we we got to talk about Alvin. We didn't talk about this before. Like we see him early on. <clears throat> he gives his mother this beautiful door knocker, right? He's like, when I go pro, I'm going to get you the house to go with it, you know, which is the story that you hear. Right. And we've seen boosters giving him cash and, you know, he's, he's, he lays out uh, 20 years before it became real what, or really 30 years before it became real. Like why you should pay college athletes. Like he just you know, lays the whole thing out there and it's actually a really good argument that he yeah. makes. Yeah. I mean, it's incredibly compelling. And, you see, though, that he's not a bad guy or anything like that. So when he gets hurt, and that is a pretty wicked looking injury that that guard destroys him. And of course, he's been talking garbage to him all day, but he his leg is like in a different place. Like it is that is a gnarly looking thing. A very true husband. Yeah, yeah, and it's. I mean, it's. But the way Dwayne Davis plays that when he's in the hospital, he's like choked up and he's kind of holding it. I really, I was like, man, I give that guy a lot of credit for that because he could have played that a lot of different ways. He played that incredibly subtle, and and you could tell James Com was like really, really upset that he got hurt. Man, he was my 
favorite character in the whole movie. I was not okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, man. I just went, oh, no, Meg. And then you see him sitting at home. With the radio. With propped up in the radio. And he's calling I, the defense out. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, after the movie was over, I still couldn't stop thinking about it. So I had to make up, like, the rest of his life story in my head. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have to see what you came up with compared to what I did. But okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you. And Brian can corroborate. But I'll, I'll tell you what I came up with and if it's anything similar to yours when you go. I really feel yeah. like in the hospital scene, Dwayne Davis was tapping into his own life because he played football mm. at, at Mizzou. Yeah. And he suffered a knee injury in his senior year that ended his football career, basically, and forced him to become an actor. Forced to quit. Oh. So I feel like maybe he's like tapping into his own life there a little bit. Oh, that's really good. I did not yeah, know that about him, actually. That's. Well, hey, maybe he feel did. like you've got your That's future defensive fun. coordinator there because right? watching him I mean, read the film like that was. Yeah, you get that guy involved like yeah. <laughs> some way or another. Like, it, yeah, you, you you help him get through enough school and then he becomes your GA and he just works his way. Th- he's probably in the NFL at this point doing that kind of work. But yeah, which is not the backstory I wrote for him, but that's actually a good point. Ryan. That was uh, that was the second backstory I wrote for him. You clearly right, have yeah, one story, I guess. He's, like, he's that clearly going to be one of those coordinators that needs a, a personal get back coach. Just someone yeah. to grab him by the belt and drag him off the field. But, you know, I also yeah. feel like that he would give Jim Brown in any given Sunday a run for his money in terms of intensity. Right. Yeah. He's very Mike Singletary who, as a coach. He was incredibly intense. And so, yeah. Are, are you I, saying I he's going to, are you saying Alvin's going to drop his pants in the locker room? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't win with him. Can't do it. <laughs> yeah. He, he might. I don't know. But uh, yeah, Alvin's out. We got to go to Georgia Tech. We're getting our butts kicked at halftime. I love, I love the way that James Conn does this at this whole bit at halftime. He just looks at, at, at Bobby's like, you're out. Shut up. And I love how he flips that table over with the Gatorade. After he goes like, this is the rest of you damn season. If you don't get it together. And I'm like, Yes, I could see a coach do that. I've actually seen a coach clear a table of Gatorade once to try to get a point across, and it worked. I mean, the guys get fired up for that kind of stuff. It's probably the most football coachy thing that he did the whole movie. Seemed to take the team by surprise when he did it. Yeah, I don't think they were expecting that. So. I yeah, love it, the get a mop moment. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a very calculated decision by the coach, too. It's like, He's clearly going to do something that's, that doesn't seem to be in character for him. We don't mm-hmm. really see him Bobby Knighting his way through the movie like that. Mm-hmm. No. So another between this and Blue Chips, because that is all that Nick Nolte does to that movie, uh, is Bobby Knight his way through it. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I love how he tells the back quarterback to get them off. So, which, I mean, that kid like has no legs to stand on, so he better do everything he says. Um, but yeah, the, uh, I love the, the pep talk that he gives Joe, though, because he knows, and this is why it's so weird the way that he's treated him the whole movie to at this moment become like father figure all of a sudden. To tell him, like, look, I know why you're upset. You keep buying tickets for your dad and it keeps blowing you off. This is your family. You got to forget all that. And Joe's like, yeah, you're right. And he just goes out there and starts playing like a you know machine again. And I'm like, that's that's all it took. Like you couldn't have done that after the first motorcycle ride. <laughs> maybe we save all this crap. <laughs> maybe we beat Michigan. Maybe we don't lose to Iowa in the middle of the season. So I don't know. It's just it seemed like such a weird turn because it wasn't what I expected. Like it would have made more sense if he just grabbed him and said, "Look, man, you got to go out there and lead. Go lead." 
And then he just bucked up and did it. You know, that would have been more true to character, I think. Yeah. I guess giving him the benefit of the doubt, I think, I don't know, maybe the coach just knew exactly what he needed to hear in that moment to make him better. And that's why he's such a great coach for the school. I mean, it is the cliche, right? Or, or yeah. maybe he just realized, all right, I have to figure out a new way to manipulate this kid into playing well. <laughs> True. And well, I mean, yeah. yes. And I've tried, the same concept. And I've, yeah. tried, I've tried tough love. I've tried love love. Uh, I've tried I've tried making him a leader of men. I've tried buying him a motorcycle. <laughs> I don't know what else I have to do. So let's try being, you know, let's try being his therapist for five minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, as a coach, like any coach will tell you, you're all of those things at one time or another with, you know, on any level, particularly, you know, high school and above, you're, you're all of that stuff. But yeah, they come back, they get the big rally win. <clears throat> I love how that they, they call out uh, Ray for throwing lousy blocks. I mean, to be fair, he's only been playing fullback for a week and he wasn't a very good tailback. So, I, you know, yeah, did he did he duff the block on purpose? Yeah, but so what? You know, I mean, that's that big of a the fact that he all of a sudden though becomes like you know DJ Dozier out there just opening up lanes for people. I'm like, where has that been all season? If that if that was there all season, that's coaching malfeasance that you haven't made that change before now. Like. Good grief, you know. It's, it's like they said at Auburn back in 2004, like, oh, Borges' offense is so genius. I'm like, no, it wasn't. He figured out you got to put Ronnie Brown and Carnell Williams on the field at the same time. <laughs> Nobody knows what's going to happen. Like, and he'll even tell you, like, people act like that was a big deal. I'm like, y'all hadn't figured that out before. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just funny. Um, but we got to talk about the last play that goes down because, of course, it's the clock run out thing the machinations that joe kane goes through of running beyond the line of scrimmage and back behind it and <laughs> spiking the ball back to himself to throw it to darnell in the endless end zone as we talked about that would that even be legal or would that just be considered like a down ball <laughs> like, there's there's a lot of shit going down in that last play man it's like too I much I think I went through that. I went through the same mental gymnastics. <laughs> I was like, I don't. I think I actually looked at Brian. And I said, "Was that? Would that have been legal in the like then? I don't know if it would be now, but a lot of things wouldn't be now that we're watching, right? And and I think we determined that because his knee didn't hit the ground at any point, it was fine to recover." And keep it going. Like, I don't know. There was like some weird thing where we were like, maybe that was okay. I think as I think as long as you're behind the the line of scrimmage, you can throw the ball. Yeah, but there was a lot going on though. Unless that he was, was like, unless he had like Fran Tarkington his way like thirty yards behind the line of scrimmage. He, there's no way that wasn't an illegal forward pass. He had right, to be, right, yeah. He looked like he was five yards past the line of, line of scrimmage when he fumbled the ball. Then he picks it right. up, runs forward another ten feet, and then hucks it. I feel like yeah. Certain, I, I feel like they throw all the flags on that play. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah, there's then a lot of review. This, like Chris Weber timeout moment. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like, uh, but I I don't know. I mean it. I guess it's what you, what we want, right? We want it to be him and Darnell hooking up for the big play or whatever. But I expect my thirty um, five year old quarterback to make better decisions than that. <laughs> <I> mean, true, <laughs> right? 
Yeah, <laughs> to quote Dave Franco, you look like a fucking 40-year-old. <laughs> so, I mean, he really does. No, Tom Brady looks much better. Yeah, true, very true, Lindsay. Would make a much better fumble Ruchki to himself. <laughs> that, I yeah, so, but I mean, I don't know. All these movies seem to end on like some doofy play. Like, I mean, you know, Varsity Blues has really great football action to the very end. Like, why would you hook in lateral to the guard? Like, no one does that, but okay. So it's because we want Billy Bob to score. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a spoiler alert for another 30 year old movie. But uh, yeah, I mean, we, we have to end with that. And um, we, we get our little coda, though. Like, I, I do, I do like the fact that Camille's listening on the radio. Um, and I'm like, wait, are they like on a TV band? Like, do they, are they not on television anywhere? All these kids listen to this stuff on the radio. Like, they could just be sitting in front of the set. You don't have to show it. I mean, I'd realize I had the budget for it, but geez, it's just weird that that many people would listen to the you know game on the radio. But um, I, I love that she hasn't given up on him yet, even though everything tells her she probably should. Um, but he does he does make good on it though when he shows up with a six pack of Sprite. I thought that was a kind of a cute joke and a good way to end him. Yeah. And thus he derails his NFL career, not with alcoholism, but with obesity. Right, right. With sugar addiction. He gets hooked on the Sprite. He loses a foot. All his teeth fall out. Right, right. (laughs) He didn't need those anyway. He's going to get him knocked out anyway, but the next next year's defense. But yeah, we didn't talk about Lattimore comes back and goes through incredible links to uh, hide his steroid usage. Um, and and uh, as if it wasn't obvious to everyone on the field, that guy painted his entire face like the Road Warrior um, to go out there. I'm a little worried about that kid, Coach. Is he all right? Yeah, he's he's fine. He's just really hyped. It's his last game ever. Something. Yeah. They, well, they make a point that Latimer, this is like his only chance, right? Because right? he spent three years as a as a gunner on the punt team, right? And then he comes back 35 pounds heavier. Um, and you know. I don't want to say anything bad about this actor. Uh, what's his name? Andrew Darsky. Darsky. Yeah. But as we talked about, he looks like he's done the steroids in the butt thing a time mm-hmm. or two. He he seemed very well practiced at that little song and dance. I got a kick out of that. He flushed all of his drugs, including his vials and his syringes down the toilet. I'm like, that probably wouldn't happen, but okay. I mean, it probably that wouldn't would work. Have worked. Yeah. Clearly he's not there to play school. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Even though he is articulate. So, uh, but, but as I've established, I think Bud's the only one that I ever see like remotely involved in class. I think Joe ever goes to class. I mean, uh, maybe Joe is taking all the online classes at that point. Right. Very, which at that point would be like banks of VHS tapes uh, because that's what it was in 1993. <laughs> yeah. Joe's taking all correspondence courses. Right. Right. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> through the ECU learning annex or whatever. ESU. Yeah. <laughs> But we're on to the next season. We're off to to uh, recruit some more. We get a little uh, super Nashville producer Dan Huff and his brother uh, guitar wailing all over the end of this. If you didn't know, uh, that's them. So uh, I, I'm a bit of a giant fan and know Dan Huff's work. So I've always known that that was his stuff. But uh, when you hear it, you're like, oh yeah, I can totally hear it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's an interesting way to end things um, for us here. But was it? a good ride all the way through. Let's find out. It's time for final thoughts, recommendations and popcorn ratings. So Lindsay and Ron, what are yours for the program? Lindsay? You know, I liked it. I think 
I might have to watch it again and digest. I would watch it again. So I'll give it at least a medium popcorn. I think there were a lot of missteps with this movie. And I think the movie also had the unfortunate timing of coming out two and a half weeks before Rudy was released as well. So um, that, that probably didn't help what a lot of people thought of it when compared to that. But I think it had some really great qualities. It was fun. I had to suspend my disbelief a lot. <laughs> it was still fun to see some of that old school snot-nosed football played. And Mac was just such a great character. And they had a lot of really fun camera angles and a handful of needle drops that I really appreciated. Um, So yeah, overall, I'd watch it again. I'll give it a solid medium popcorn. I can't get past the fact that it was such a generic school in in a, I guess we'll call it real conference of real schools. So that felt really weird to me. Um, but I'll do I'll do medium popcorn. I'll throw some butter in there, but it's the butter that just kind of sits on top. It doesn't go all the way through. All right, Ron. I'm going to join Lindsay in the medium popcorn club. This movie is a lot of fun, and it's a lot more fun than I remember, uh, particularly uh, the Alvin Mack character and uh, Dwayne Davis's performance is a blast. Uh, I kind of wish we'd gotten more of him in the movie than of all the Ray Griffin we got. <laughs> and uh, like, I would have been perfectly happy without that romantic subplot of slash team fullback <laughs> issues uh, that kept coming up. But yeah, so I'm going to go medium popcorn. I really enjoyed the, the look of the movie. I enjoyed a lot of the um, football choreography, uh, the blocking and the, and the shooting style that they've done with that. They, they, the hits look nice and vicious um, you know, it seems like they put a lot of time into that. I, I don't hundred percent buy James Conn as a football coach. He's like, like Jay talks about, he's missing a little something. There's a little bit of swagger that you would expect from a football coach. that isn't necessarily there. Although I will give him the benefit of the doubt when he's recruiting, um, uh, Darnell Jefferson, because I don't, I can't imagine how many football coaches are used to going to the orphanage to recruit players. True. It's got to throw you off to, to walk into to the kid's house to see 15 other kids of various races and ethnicities and a priest. And that's the that's the guy you got to win over. Uh, so I'll give him a little bit of, of a pass for that. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm good with the medium popcorn. I feel very satisfied with that. I want to make it three for three on both things. Medium popcorn and that Dwayne Davis is the thing that, that keeps me coming back to this movie. Um, and I, I mean, there's a ton of cliche. It is cliche. The football movie. It really is. Um, one could, could ask what's faker the football in this or the football in Rudy? Uh, because I, I don't know. <laughs> I think the story in the program might be more true than the story in Rudy, but, um, it's, it's an infinitely watchable thing. Like it's a total, like, afternoon or if you're like we are it's right before football season it's it's a perfect thing to kind of get you in the mood and watch it especially if you've grown up watching college football this is not college football that exists anymore so i mean this offense would be considered like you get fired for just running this nowadays so nobody does it so it's kind of quaint and and it it plugs on some of that there's a lot of tropes that are tropes now but i've 
I try to think back to 1993, they probably were the thing that established a lot of it. And there's a reason this movie still talked about, you know, to this day, 30 years later. So, uh, yeah, it's a media popcorn. It's a lot of fun and definitely one to revisit if you haven't in a while, or if you've never seen it, that definitely worth watching. Now, are you ready to know the invented backstories or continuing stories of our, our characters here though, that I have come up with? And I'm curious to let you two judge this. I'm so, on the edge of my seat. So let's start with Joe Kane. Well, he, as a senior, led ESU to a conference championship. He was drafted by the Detroit Lions and was injured in his rookie season, though. He returned to ESU as a GA and became a successful high school coach in Texas. He and Camille have six kids where she's the high school guidance counselor. So I, I, that's where I, I went with Joe Kane. So uh, he, he turned his life around and became a coach. Alvin Mack, despite his lack of academic prowess, found his calling in construction, and he built his mama her house and is a pillar of his small community. ESPN produced a very popular 30 for 30 about his derailed football career and his newfound passions. I love that one. That's very different from the one I came up with. What, what was yours? I got to know what yours was. <laughs> Mine, well, I did. So the first one I came up with was that he miraculously came back from his injury, was invited to a combine, got drafted, played professional football for a handful of years before his knee started acting up again, after which he had enough clout and money saved up to buy his own used car dealership and lived <laughs> happily ever after and still made enough money to buy his mama's house. Oh, well, so we, we both got mom of the house. And then the second was. one was that he became a defensive coordinator. I felt like that yeah, made a lot that, more sense. That's true. Yeah. I feel like a guy like that with his with as many physical skills as he has, as long as they don't cut his leg off below the knee, somebody's willing to take a seventh round draft pick mm -hmm. on him. Or, you know, after he's rehabbed for a year, they're willing to give him a, a couple of training camp. Or he gets to go to Canada for a year or two. Like some, somebody's going to talk yeah. to him. So the arena league, something. Yeah, you're right. Bud Kaminsky, the big uh, offensive lineman, was drafted in the fourth round by the Green Bay Packers, played for 14 years and was a part of two Super Bowls and now owns a successful beverage distributorship somewhere in the Midwest. So right. Steve Lattimore, after he was released from prison for assault, uh, went back to prison as a guard and spends his uh private time mentoring disadvantaged youth. So. <laughs> okay, cool. This one's for you. Bobby Collins tried to make it in Hollywood as an actor, but actually became notable to action movie Twitter as stunt band most shot by Mel Gibson. So. <laughs> yes. That was, he became right. Michael Papa John to, to uh, Schwarzenegger, basically. <clears throat> Tim Wayman from Michigan was drafted by the Cleveland Browns and was out of the league within three years. He now hosts a Sirius XM radio show and performs a draft analysis for NBC Sports. <laughs> well, you gave him the Tim Couch. That's <laughs> Tim Couch, Chris Sims, Danny Cannell. So. <laughs> Ray Griffin uh, graduated from dental school in Alabama. He is a, quote, friend of, the, friend of the program for ESU and has a building wing named after him on the campus biology department. Yeah, that 100%. Yeah, yeah. Total, total, total douchebag to the end. Uh, Darnell Jefferson transferred from ESU to play for Tom Osborne at Nebraska, won a national championship before being drafted by the New England Patriots, where he never carried the ball more than eight times in his career, but still won a Super Bowl in 2001 with Tom Brady. He retired and lives in Miami Beach on a golf course. Oh, and he and Autumn broke up sophomore year. So. I could definitely see... Darnell Jefferson being the kind of Nebraska back that would somehow rush for 2,000 yards. Yep. 
but in the NFL, they have no idea what to do with him. Alternately, I can see him sticking out another season at ECU, and then he goes on to become like the original Marshall Falk. Yeah, yeah. Because as we see, they run him out as a receiver constantly. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I can so see that. I feel like if you give him the, the Marshall Falk, and I feel like he spends a good 10 years in the league as a third down back, because he's still five. So he's six. Kevin Falk, basically, or, or, yes. or Danny Woodhead. So, yeah. Coach Winters. There you go. There you go. Coach Winters retired in 1999 from ESU as the third most winningest head coach of college football. However, the NCAA vacated 10 years worth of his wins, so he doesn't appear on any list that you know of. In his retirement, he actually works for NCAA compliance. <laughs> nice. I, mean, I figured. Uh, now, if it- now, if anybody's going to have a chain of used car dealerships, I feel like it's going to be. I mean, I, no, it would be that offensive coordinator. <laughs> that, that, that rotund round mound of offensive coordinator uh, would definitely be selling used cars. Is he the offensive coordinator? The He's the offensive coordinator because the tall, tall African-American gentleman is the defensive coordinator. So um, they, they they make that pretty clear. So, though we, I mean, we only see those guys talking in an office once, in a locker room once, and in a parking lot. They don't ever seem to be on the field. So it's. And they mostly seem to talk about Latimer, which, which right. you know, I, for obvious like, reasons. I've known people who are offensive and defensive coordinators. They might not even know each other's names. <laughs> they so don't <laughs> cross the day. It's not that they don't like each other. They just have such hyper focus on what they do. Like they don't, they don't talk to each other. They, he would know his running backs coaches like inner life, but he wouldn't know Jack about the defensive coach because he didn't spend any time with it. So uh, it's just, it's just, you know, again, that's a trope. But anyway, that's what I had. To, I had to have some, you know, story to the rest of these people, at least most of them. So, uh, yeah, that's that's where I, I saw the program going on. But it's always a lot of fun talking about it with you all. And for those that don't know, like all of us are on a big text chain that does a lot of football talk throughout the year. So we, we keep that going on pretty well throughout the, the offseason, but definitely during the season. So it's a passion of ours. And thank you for indulging us uh, in it here as we kick off. And hey, if you, if you haven't watched any football, that's OK. This movie still got something for you in it, uh, if nothing more than just how hilariously <laughs> weird all of it comes off or just the fashion of 1993 it's worth that so uh ron what do you got going on over at den of geek what are you covering these days well i just wrapped up coverage of the fourth season of westworld and i'm putting out features based off of tales of the walking dead i just had one published not too long ago and i'll have another one coming up shortly and I'll also probably be doing some feature stuff related to Game of Thrones House of the Dragons. So that'll be very exciting. Yes, yes. That's just now getting started as well. Of course, folks, you can follow the show's social media at Filmstrip Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You'll find announcements about upcoming shows. A link to our letterbox page has our entire list of reviews. Go to filmstrippodcast.com. You'll find a link to our anchor.fm distribution site where you can find us on the podcast platform of your choice. Apple, Spotify, Google, you name it, we're there. Please share the show, and if you can, leave us a positive review as it helps other people find the podcast. And from Lindsay and Ron, I'm Jay. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.